It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. Because I'm motivated by something bigger than myself. So I joined the CIA. And now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Here, my abilities contribute to our mission. Agency professionals have extraordinary integrity and exceptional talents. And every day, we do work that's incredibly important. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov careers to learn more and apply. And what's up? Welcome in DC Live Tuesday episode of the show. West Mitchell, Chris Clark. We're running late. I'm running late. Um, we're always running late on Tuesday in general. Running super late today, but that's okay. Lots of news, lots of things to get to. We'll get to that in a second. First of all, I want to tell you about our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. See it right there on your screen. Of course, Clint, the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network, C. Hammond at MortgageNetwork.com. It's the letter C. NMLS number 71597-803-576-4450. Find out more information from Clint on Clint, ClintHammond.com. Uh, of course, the presenting sponsor of GC Live every single day. He is Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. The news coming out today, uh, confirmed now, was sort of started to circulate I don't know, maybe Sunday night, uh, certainly yesterday on Monday it started to circulate. Confirmed today that uh, Luke Doty is out for the season. Um, sort of a, Chris, an injury that never really truly healed, you would say. I, I think um, that the way I described it in the story about him being out for the year was that he had sort of been dealing with at least, uh, you would say, the remnants of, of the initial injury for um, you know pretty much the entire season. And then at some point in the first half um, on Saturday, sort of uh, started feeling different. Uh, the, the, the foot either got uh, stepped on or rolled on or, or something at some point stepped wrong. Um, started feeling differently and uh, finished the game until that final drive that, that Zeb Nolan came in. But the news coming out today from Shane Beamer, that Luke Doty is out for the season. He will undergo season-ending surgery later this week. Uh, that will obviously put him in a situation where he'll sort of get a clean start with, with that foot as opposed to playing through it um, as he's done the last five games. Um, your thoughts, Chris, on the news on Doty today? Well, I mean, the, the first thing, where, where I typically go with this, Wes, is how does it affect the player individually? And so for Luke Doty, for any player – you know, that has to deal with a season-ending injury, you hate it for him, you know, especially a guy like Luke who does everything the right way. Um, Shane Beamer mentioning in his press conference that he had some people that have been around the program for a while, you know, read into that. People who've been here, you know, longer than Shane Beamer um, called him one of the 
maybe the, what was it, the top two toughest guys alongside Connor Shaw. And so that speaks volumes, and everybody speaks really highly of Luke as far as his work ethic, the kind of kid he is. You just don't hear anything bad about him. And so hated it for him coming into this year, Wes, with, you know, he was going to have the opportunity to be the starting quarterback. We knew that. Went through spring. You're barreling towards the season. And then he has the the, the injury, unfortunately, in practice. Um, they discovered it was, you know, maybe not as bad as they thought it could be at that time, but certainly worse than what he felt like. And then, uh, you know, so he misses the game, misses about, what, a month to practice, reintegrates to the team under less than ideal circumstances, which is coming in cold off the bench against Georgia for your first action of the season, and then deals with it and kind of re-aggravates it. So that, you know, Wes, that's where I go with it. I mean, you, you hate it for the kid. That's the first thing. And then secondly, obviously losing him as your as your guy you've gone to as a starter, losing out on more quarterback depth when that's been a question this season for South Carolina, certainly from a, a team perspective is not ideal either. But, but my biggest reaction was you hate it for Luke and certainly wish him all the best in his recovery as he, as he gets that situated set for surgery. Yeah, and you know, um, as much as some folks uh... – are going to disagree with what I'm about to say and um, maybe say I'm making excuses, maybe say, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to say. We'll find out. But I, I think there's still a, there is a portion of people who um, are, are sort of, in my opinion, kind of almost just giving up on the future for South Carolina with, with Luke Doty. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I, I think you you look back. We we talked about how the, the kid played two and a half games last year, and then um, you know he, he's played five games hurt this year um, in a new scheme, and frankly, in in sort of NFL style scheme that that takes, I believe, quite a bit of time to sort of get uh, solidified in as far as being comfortable in it not just for him, but for everybody around him as well. So, you know, if this was a much more um, simple um, scheme, a little more college a little more, you know, learn, learn fast type scheme, then, um, you know, I, I think, Chris, you would say, uh, you know, m- maybe you would expect the offense to get rolling a little bit quicker. But when you, you have a kind of complex offense, Luke Doty is playing really hurt for, for the entire season. Um, still improved quite a bit as a passer, in, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't know. I I tend to believe the story of Luke Doty as a quarterback. Um, as you said, you you wish him completely well. Um, in his uh, recovery and the surgery this week, all that stuff. Once you get past that and start talking about him on the field, um, his story as a college quarterback is still yet to be written. Like I, I think. We all like to see these small sample sizes and then say that we we, we know what a guy is. Um, I'm not ready to say that at all. And, um, you know, frankly, some of the – and not that it's remotely most of, of you folks. It's, it's probably a small percentage. But even just some of the, the, the hate towards – the hate towards quarterbacks in general that comes from fans uh, when it doesn't go their way is uh is a little bit ridiculous so 
Um, you know, like you said, dude, we we wish Luke well. Hopefully, uh, the surgery goes extremely well earlier or later this week, and then he can start to. Um, you know, he's already been around the guys, around the team. Uh, was at practice, was in meetings. Um, has has a great mindset about this whole thing. But I, I think Chris, um, you know, we we still. My, my point being, we still have not seen um, what a healthy experienced Luke Doty can, can be for the Gamecocks. And I, I thought the, the, the sad thing is, man, for the sad thing for Luke, I thought he had maybe um, a couple of his best drives of the season um, to start the game on Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, really made some beautiful throws. And then um, we, we saw sort of what happened as the game went on. And, and as he uh, – you could tell he really was not planning on that foot um, on the follow-through the way he probably uh, would have been if he was not hurt. Yeah, and I think we see that a lot to your point about, you know, giving up on guys. We touched on this a little bit yesterday on the Monday GC Live, but, you know, to, to soapbox it just a little bit, not too long, briefly, you know, if guys come in and there's expectations on them, we see this a lot, and, and it is probably a smaller vocal minority of people of just, well, well, this guy doesn't have it or he's not living up to the hype or whatever it may be. We've seen it with lots of guys. I mean, Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens even come to mind because they were five-star guys. We, we saw that with Zach Pickens, who was a guy who was a great athlete in high school, but when he, he got to college, he had to change positions basically to play inside. He's playing defensive tackles, so some people expected Zach Pickens to come in and they didn't understand the position he was going to be playing. They didn't give him time to adjust, so when he didn't have – I don't know, 15 sacks or whatever they expected year one was, oh, is this guy bust, Wes? You know, and, and stuff like that. And we've even seen it last year. Now, when Zach is actually given time to develop, he's playing a lot better. And if he continues developing, he'll be an NFL draft pick. And that means you're pretty good, typically, when you get drafted to play professional football. So, you know, a similar deal with, with Luke, with what we're seeing now, and, and it's magnified because it's the quarterback position. Brought up the Connor Shaw thing yesterday. I think somebody brought it up in the chat just now. Again, not comparing the potential of Luke compared to Connor, how many games they'll ultimately win or whatever. Not doing that. Just illustrating that, you know, the ECU game that year, Connor starts it. It doesn't go well. Not all of it's his fault, obviously. People, well, he just doesn't have it. He's just not the guy. Turns out he was pretty good. You know, s- some circumstances changed. They recruited well around him. They had a good system for him. They gave him time to develop. He turned out pretty doggone good. And a lot of credit to him goes to that. You take Luke. First of all, I mean, this year is a wash, basically. He missed a month leading up to practice, basically. Um, he Leading up to practice and during the season, he steps in, again, a- against Georgia. We've had multiple college coaches say it's the best defense they've ever seen. So you throw him in in that, he plays pretty well, still coming off the injury. He's still bothered by that foot in every game he's played in. Then ultimately the Vanderbilt game knocks him out. And so that's not an ideal situation. Then, as you said, this offense, a lot put on the quarterback and the coaching staff's been very forthright about it. They put a lot on these quarterbacks. You go back to last season, saw people putting, putting expectations on Doty based on last year. Totally unfair. I mean, look at the circumstances of last season. You know, he played two and a half games. The coach had gotten fired. You know, he had been splitting time between quarterback and receiver. So 
there are just all sorts of different things out there that have not given us a truly accurate read, not to mention just the lack of game experience in total with Luke Doty. So people slow it down a little bit, give time, give guys time to develop, give context to the situation. Yeah. And, um, you know, certainly uh, a situation here where um, it's still very fresh. It's still very new as far as um, what it means long-term for Luke Doty in terms of a possible red shirt. Somebody asked about that in our chat earlier. Beamer, uh, for example, was asked about that at the press conference, and he said, we, we don't know yet. Uh, Luke played in in five games, so that would put him – and and so there, there's a lot to sort through here, Chris. So if, if you want to have that conversation, right um, – He's listed as a true sophomore, um, but technically, he—it's the same as as him being a true freshman yep. right now, because of COVID year last year. It didn't matter how many games he played in last year, um, but you could just automatically redshirt if he had only played in four games this year, but he's played in five. Um, usually. You know, it's a situation there where you can uh, seek a medical red shirt, and I'd imagine that would be something South Carolina and Luke Doty would look into. Now, here's the thing: it you know, it, even even without that, he has three full years of eligibility left after this season. So, you know, most quarterbacks don't end up sticking around for for that long. For, for more than that long, I should say. Anyway, so it really only even becomes an issue if three full se- – after three additional seasons on top of this year, if Doty wants to come back another year, um, then he would have, have that opportunity. But uh, I also want to point out that this whole idea of like, well, Doty's time at South Carolina is over, like that's it, just because he got – I saw that – I saw that – just because he got pulled late in the game Saturday, that's that's not the case. Like this is not this is not over. He's with the team. He's committed to the team. Um, he'll have his surgery this week. Um, then it'll be the bye week, and then he'll be he'll be right back with the team. So let's go ahead and just get rid of that notion, that idea. Um, I think Doty still has a, a chance to have a really bright future you know with this program moving forward um what what else what else do we want to hit on this chris Uh, do you have any other thoughts or move forward with some other press conference thoughts i I did want one more point on the doty medical red shirt what what you said wes regarding the covid year and then how long quarterbacks typically stay around like their lifespan overall probably makes all this moot at the end of the day or mute as message board people would say um, but the official rule, right, for a medical red shirt, unless it's changed and all the weirdness that's been going on, but I don't think it is, typically the benchmarks for that play in less than 30% of the season, which Luke Doty would hit. And then the, Is that by snaps or by – That's the thing. It's supposed to – you know, there have been – games or snaps? snaps? Yeah, I don't know because – Typically, you think of games. So people used to do, um, typically, you think of a 12-game season, you think, okay, four games. You know, now there's a bowl, obviously, so you get into that. 
there have been some guys, there's a South Carolina example, and it may have been Mike Matulis, where it seemed like he played in too many quote unquote games and still got a medical red shirt. So but you know, there's there's some probably some math to it, but thirty percent of games, don't know if that's by snaps, and then typically the injury is first half of the season. So, you know, this is not right. Vandy was game seven. So not technically the first half of the season. So we'll see, I think, ultimately because of the COVID year last season and Luke being able to, to have – Luke and everybody being able to have that extra year. It, it might not end up mattering at the end of the day unless we get several years down the road and Luke Doty is, wants to be a six-year guy or something like that. Then maybe it comes into play. Wasn't there a situation a while back where a guy played – they were going to do the medical red – thing and a guy played too late uh by accident um yes yes that ronald patrick oh you're talking about at south carolina i was thinking of a situation i want to i want to say it was at auburn but i could be wrong where they they accidentally burned a guy's red shirt or something like that 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 was with the new rule they uh yeah yeah they accidentally got him uh in a fifth game Mm-hmm. Um. Whew. So, oh, and trap, trap. Well, Travis makes a point. Does the injury yes. prior to the season count as first half of the season? Um, uh, that, that's a good. I, I, I think you could make like who, who knows with the NCAA, right? Like, <laughs> I feel like with the right yeah. lawyer, you could draw up a pretty good case here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I, I think it ends up being a, a moot point, but something to look into. I mean, Beamer addressed it today, said they haven't really gotten into that. It's kind of so new and they haven't started. I don't think anybody's sitting around going, okay, like taking out their eligibility calculator and everything at this point, you know, but um, something we'll, we'll, we'll try to get at some point, And it's probably not going to be this week. Uh, you know, we'll try to get some clarification on a long-term basis on that. Um, so, all right. Zeb Nolan gets the start. Obviously we already knew that was going to be the case. Then, Beamer confirmed Jason Brown is the backup. Uh, he, he had some good, good things to say about Colton Gothier's progress. So that, that's probably a good thing from a, a long-term perspective. I, I think, um, you know, Gothier had, had a really good spring when he was just coming in. And then, you know, Beamer talked about um, – he, he didn't use these words, but talked about how, you know, the sort of day-to-day of, of having to, to come right back and, and sort of new installs and stuff like that without having that day off in the spring – it seemed like it just sort of caught up to Gothier a little bit as a, as a true freshman. So good, good sign from him. Jason Brown now becomes the backup, but this, this is Zeb Nolan's team at, at quarterback for the foreseeable future. It is, it is. And you know, the interesting thing about Zeb man is, is just, we, we know that he has kind of a unique perspective on the offense. You know, we touched on this a little bit yesterday. He's, you know, drawing it up on a board and being able to conceptualize it. It's different when you're a coach, you know, you can talk about football and be really knowledgeable and, and be able to draw it up on a whiteboard, but, you know, teaching it to your players and having your players be able to execute it, that's different. It's the same thing with players, you know, a player may not, be as smart on the board, but he goes out there and he just plays and he's really good. 
or you could be super smart on the board and all that. And when you get on the field, obviously that's different. You got to go out and execute it, you know? So Zeb can do some of both with that. He's shown that he can make throws, he can execute. And he also is really knowledgeable in this offense. He, he spent time on the other side here at South Carolina. And so obviously he has kind of a unique perspective on that. And he knows this offense. Um, there's probably a good argument to be made that he knows it better just in terms of his knowledge and, and what to do and the different checks and where everybody needs to line up. He probably knows that better than anybody on the roster. You know, is he going to be more limited than Luke or some of the other guys athletically? Absolutely. But there's always a trade off there. And so, we have seen a lot of administrative issues with South Carolina in terms of penalties and all those types of things. And to be fair, Wes, some of those happened certainly in games that Zeb started against EIU, against ECU. So I'm not saying that he his presence on the field or him starting or being the guy automatically fixes those things. But can it take a, a progression? Um, can, can this passing game, which has honestly been a little bit better than I anticipated, not great, but a little bit better. Um, can it take a next step? Can South Carolina, can his presence somehow get some things cleaned up in the run game with some calls or some checks he made? You know, maybe. So the staff right now, there have been a lot of questions about why not Colton? Why not Jason Brown? We probably more Jason Brown questions. And I hate to boil it down so simply to this, but the answer to that is almost always, unless there's an injury or discipline issue, which there's not with any of these guys. The answer is always, that's what the staff thinks is the best move right now. You know, they, and I'm not saying that's ultimately going to be the right move, right? Uh, we may look back and if Zeb struggles and then somebody else comes in the game and or games going forward and does well, you may say, well, why didn't they go with, with that at the beginning? Right now, they think that this is the best move. The coaches see guys in practice every day. That's why you practice. And so it's not like they're watching spring game tape, the TV copy of the spring game, and saying we should go off this. They're able to assess in meetings what what can guys conceptualize. Um, they're able to see practice each week, how guys are preparing, the decisions they're making, the throws that they're making. And so that doesn't ultimately mean that the decision that they make as far as how to handle the quarterback room is going to be effective per se. Um, but they generally make these decisions because they think that the guy that they're putting in there and how they set the quarterback pecking order is is the best route to go. And we'll see what happens. But that's kind of us, the general answer as to why they're doing that. We got a great chat, great idea here from Justin Simmons. Uh, we do need to get the Colonel Zeb. The per- I, want, I wonder if they would be willing to pull back the curtain or if they just want to keep it, um, you know, kind of keep the magic going a, a little bit. That that uh, if you pull back the curtain a little bit, does it lose its luster? Maybe just a tad. I don't know. It would be interesting to hear from them because we we have no idea at this point. Maybe somebody else knows. Is is this somebody around the program? Is this just some random fan? Um, is this a student? Is this person? you know, uh, a senior at Carolina or a senior citizen. Like, we have, we have no idea um, anything about this person. But uh, what would be cool to, to, to maybe know and, and hear? Maybe we talk to them, but we do it like a somebody in the witness uh, protection 
um, and, and maybe have them like out and blocked out. Um, awesome. Or maybe they do the interview in character. We we could do that somehow. Ooh, bring a musket and what what if it's Zeb himself? What it if he's not? It is not Zeb. What if he's just acting aloof and like, oh yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's really him. It is not Zeb. It is what not if it's Zeb, Randy. Sorry. What if it's what? It's not Luke Doty. That that would be a plot twist. That would be fun. That'd be awesome. Um, Wade wants to know what's going on. Wade. <laughs> Wade's confused. Wade, Wade just wandered in. <laughs> where, where am I? <laughs> Wade, Wade the, the Colonel Zeb Twitter. <laughs> I don't know why that got me. I know. Wade, that's so funny. Wade's like, what the? What are y'all talking about? <laughs> He's like, can we get Yuva back on here? What are, What are these idiots talking about? Oh man, um, yeah. the Colonel Zeb Twitter. Wade, come on, man. If Shane Beamer knows what the Colonel Zeb Twitter is, you got to know, man. It's uh. What is it at Colonel Zebulia? I don't know. Look, look for it. Check it out. Um, <laughs> we need to take a break, man. You want to tell them about Dead Soxy? But let's let's go ahead and do that now. Now we don't know if Zebulia, Colonel Zebulia, that is, is familiar with Dead Soxy, but if so, he should be. I'm not sure if they have any of like the colonial era type of socks, but aside from that, Wes, they probably got about anything else you want. Athletic socks, no-show socks, dress socks, all with the buttery soft feel and the patented no-slip technology. Go to deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Hey, just see for yourself. Just look through their whole catalog there. They got an extensive one on deadsoxy.com. Check out the college line with the Spurs socks. Order some of those for yourself. Get 25% off your entire order by using the promo code COCKY. Ty, Ty Adams, right on brand, man. Just no right on time, always. right on brand. Um, always on brand is, is Ty Adams. Um, let, let's go. So, South Carolina, other, you know, other than the Doty injury, um, pre- pretty, pretty banged up, uh, just like yeah. bruises, bumps and bruises type injuries, but stuff that I'm sure, you know, maybe affects you. But we, as the media, like fans, you know, everybody else, Maybe we don't even realize guys are probably going through bumps and bruises that we don't even know are going through bumps and bruises. Beamer even went as far as saying there's several guys that are like if you just went down every position group, there's probably a guy or two in each position group where you would say, "Well, that guy's that guy's hurting, that guy's hurting." You're not, you're not necessarily injured in all these cases, but it, it's probably going to depend on how do you feel. Tomorrow, how do you feel Thursday? Some of them, it'll be how do you feel on game day? Um, you know, did you notice uh, the verbiage on Dylan Wanham had shifted towards the negative um, yeah. as far as his chance? Of, so I, I, Colin was at the press conference. I was watching on the stream. My stream during the injury report uh, was apparently experiencing bumps and bruises as well. So I didn't even hear all the details, but it sounds like several guys are going to essentially be Thursday or even game time type decisions uh, if you listen to the way Beamer described it. Yeah, and uh, not sure, right, if they'll get Jalen Brooks back. Wes, was he – I was in the same boat with the very iffy, to use that word, stream. Jalen Brooks or Jalen Dickerson that was iffy to return for Saturday? See, I, I do not – know. you know what? Um, he was asked uh, – he was asked later on 
by David Kloniger. Yep. Um, actually, tell you what. Let let me. I don't. I don't want to say and be wrong. Let me look at what Colin had um, on that. Chris, what did you think of some of the guys filling in on Saturday? I I thought Ty Wanamaker. Um, had, you know, not a perfect game by any means. Um, right. you know, t- Tennessee game. Uh, I, I thought Ty. Ty had some moments where, uh, you know, Tyshawn had some moments where he he looked like a, a young guy playing. Then he had some other moments where he absolutely mashed a dude. Um, I think Tyshawn got called. Um, did he get called? He got called for one of the holds on Saturday. Right. And he just didn't quite. He was he was freaking taking the guy out of bounds, basically. Uh, it was on a stretch play. And he didn't quite get his hands all the way in. So when the defender tried to get outside, it, the hold became obvious where if the defender was trying to come forward, it's never called, I'm sure. But when the defender tried to sort of run sort of laterally mm-hmm. um, and pull away, then it, it became obvious. I thought it was actually a pretty good block, but um, yeah, probably a hold um, by the absolute book. But uh, what did you think as far as Wanamaker filling in, um, Xavier Leggett uh, filling in? Obviously, he had the game winning catch, but he had some other grabs as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they had some adversity with some of the guys that, um, you know, did have to come step in. I mean, Zeb Nolan obviously was one of those guys on the last drive. And so w- with Wanamaker to start with him, I mean, young guy, I've, I've always thought it was kind of fascinating, Wes, that he's playing right tackle. I always kind of envisioned him as an inside guy you know, as a guard because of his, the way that he's built and his skill set, you know, to me seems, he seems more like a run blocker type of guy. And I think we've even seen that, you know, just in his very, very limited experience, which is now the Tennessee game and the Vanderbilt game, he went the distance in that contest. Looking at PFF, I mean, his, his grades weren't the greatest, you know, I think in terms of the offensive line, when he was turned towards the bottom, again, that's just a reference point though. That's one kind of data set you can take aside from the eye test and all those things. But I thought he held his own, um, thought it was a positive to get him in there and play. And physically, you know, he's got a lot of tools. I think for him, um, you, you don't sit there and go, well, this guy's just not going to be able to ever move anybody. You know, he's got some traits that are positive from a physical standpoint. It's just going to be getting more experience, um, cleaning up technique and things like that. By the way, Speaking of holding calls, I thought the holding call Nick Muse was pretty bad. I thought he just pancaked the guy. Um, that that was that was a really bad one. I mean, I saw kind of the the tail end of it, and it, it just looked like he pancaked him, and they called a hold. But um, the other guys that stepped up, you know, I mean, on Joiner had a nice route and catch at the end of the game. Xavier Leggett, obviously, it was it was great to see him, you know, get some more run and um, was banged up early in the season, and so he stepped up. So, yeah, I mean, some positives there for sure. I think they're going to need to continue integrating some of those guys and maybe rotating more and just trying to find something. We saw that on the offensive line, you know, even before, for instance, Dylan Wanham was out. We saw them rotate on that left side a little bit, and that's continued. Um, I think in the Vandy game, everybody went the distance except for – uh, Jazz, Big Jazz did get in there some for Ja'Kai Moore. So they've kind of continued, not a straight rotation, but they've continued working in both guys there at left tackle. Yeah, I think Jazz ended up playing more than Ja'Kai. Is that right? 
I thought it was the other way around, but I'll, I'll double check that. I thought Jakai played 19 snaps for some reason. Um, that stands out to me. I might be right. Jakai, um, Jakai, by the way, was very highly graded uh, according to PFF this week. But uh, Nick uh, Babb says on our Prima Gourmet chat line that SEC refs are garbage. I, I thought I did think that was just a straight uh, smash the guy situation for Nick. And then on the other hand, I saw, I think it was Enic Barre, man. Enic Barre gets drilled. He's getting blocked by two guys, um, including one guy just hitting him. I saw this live. I don't know if it was on the, the TV copy as well. Enoch Barre is just getting smashed by this guy, like in the back on a play, right in front of the ref. And I'm like, how do you not see this? Like, it's. It it should be a block in the back. It should be a hold. Um, you know, it's close to being a clip because he was already engaged with, with another defender or uh, another offensive player, I should say. So I, I, I don't know, man. That's they, they miss. I, I you, you hate to be that guy, but good grief, they missed some calls. J, hey, Jalen Foster confirming on the show, um, dude. I rewatched, so I, I finally have started to get through my rewatch of the game. Even on the TV copy, that ball does not look like it touches the ground at all. Um, so either. And they, they didn't even the, – the graphic that popped up anyway was talking about that they were – and the ref was talking about they were reviewing for targeting. Did they even review if it, if it hit the ground or not? Because the, the ref never mentioned um, that aspect, I, I feel like. So – I don't know, man. It was, it's all, it's always bad, y'all. Let's just, it, and, and I, I don't really, I truly don't believe it's like a, every, every person thinks it's their team or the team they're following that, that gets bad calls. I think it's just bad, y'all. It's not, it's not that they hate South Carolina. It's just that it's bad. That's what it is. Just like Major League Baseball. It's just bad. Um, yeah. What what else uh, from from Beamer's presser, man? I I thought it. I thought this little tiny sentence was very interesting, and the reason I think it's interesting is because he didn't have to say it, and he wasn't even really asked about it to this detail. And I think it was to Mike's question, to Yuva's question, when he was talking about the offense, and Beamer said, um, you know, he admitted he said, "Hey, it's." We're through seven games. Um, he said, and I, I'm not going to say I'm direct quoting him because I don't remember the exact verbiage, but he basically said, you know, the the whole we're just new or we're just sort of filling our way into this offense um, that doesn't fly anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought that was interesting. Not that he is saying what we said. We said at some point the offense is what it is. As a coach, you can never say that. You can never certainly never admit that. But I thought it was interesting, at, you know, as opposed to sort of, you know, coaches defend sometimes and, and stuff like that. He did defend the play calling, but then he turned around and said, "Look, uh, the you know the offense has not been good enough," and said, seven games in, you can't really blame the newness to to the scheme um, at this point in the season." 
Yeah, that's where I was going to go when, when you posed the question of what else was interesting. I thought his analysis of the offense was. We could we could probably do a whole show on that. Actually, most of our shows, Wes, probably revolve around the Gamecock offense nowadays. And I think there are fair points to make on both sides. One thing, for instance, that Shane Beamer pointed out was that schematically, the play calling got South Carolina in position to where they racked up what would they have, Wes? Four hundred something yards in the game. They moved the ball fairly well. And that is true. Counterpoint. Vandy's very bad. You should be able to do that. Um and then then the other part of it, I mean, he pointed out that a lot of their issues in that game, they weren't just it wasn't just moving the ball, it was turning the football over. You know, they had a turnover on downs, they had two picks, they had two fumbles all that went to the other teams. That's five times you're basically giving them the ball. That is going to hurt. But you take how much you move the ball out, you take out what you did on all the other drives, you take out play calling, you take out scheme, you turn the ball over that many times against anybody, it is going to make it tougher. Your margin of victory or your chances of winning uh, are going to go down if you do that, even against Vanderbilt, right? I mean, any team that does that, you lose the turnover margin by that much, it's going to be more difficult on you. I think from a play calling standpoint to go back there, Travis is making a good point, you know? So yeah, a lot of the plays, you know, you look at them and, and at times they have moved the ball, but a lot of times they haven't. And so what's the issue there? Well, we know that there's some talent and things, you know, we knew that coming into the season, they were going to struggle with certain aspects. They've had quarterback problems mainly due to injuries. Um, the biggest thing for play calling for me is in the run game. I take out everything else into this equation and and I bottom line the run game. The run game needs to have been better. It shouldn't be this poor with the personnel they have at running back and with the offensive line that they have. Um, The offensive line has not played well as anticipated. The running game has not been very good. That's a bottom line thing for me. Schematically, you have to be able, and and they've dressed some things up with perimeter runs and things like that. You got to be able to line it up and run it better. Beamer took ownership of, of the whole offense as he typically does, and he said we've got to coach it better in terms of the execution. That's probably where I would that's where I would point to. If you're constantly if you constantly have penalties, if you're having turnover problems, if you're not executing, that is part of co- a lot of people think of coaching as play call, right? What what plays are you calling? But an even bigger part of that is just what are you teaching them? you know, in terms of execution. And so that's been a problem too, to the point that you put up Wes on the Primal Gourmet chat line. I can't properly credit it now, but I mean, that has been a problem. Is the offense or are the players having some issues with the offense because there's too much going on? There might be a good argument for that. And so it's easy to look back at the Vandy game in hindsight and say, you know, the play calls were good because they got you in position to score points. That's true. That's definitely true. Um, but there are a lot of other things going on there to where you can look at the offense and, and say there's a lot going on here that that you could and should be better. Yeah, and I, I think we do we do use play calling at times. We the collective we use play calling as like a catch all. Um, you know, if, if you told me I didn't think the play calling was that bad, I you know, I, I you could maybe make that case, but then I, I'm with you, dude. I, I go back to ultimately the like the, the big picture with, with the offense and um 
I don't know, man. When when you when you go all in on this sort of NFL thing, um, complex scheme, it, uh, it it's just a lot. And ultimately, when the execution looks the way it does for this long, um, and yeah, the South Carolina need more more talent on offense. Do they need more depth? Do they need more playmakers? Absolutely. Is it to the extent of what we have seen though? that that need exists um, saying a different way. Is it being max? Is the talent being maximized on offense? Um, I think most people would say no. And some, you know, some of that is in my opinion, it, it goes beyond just, did you make the right call? Like on, to me, play calling specifically Chris and everybody else is that, uh, if if this call works versus the call the defense has, like on paper, um, based on their tendencies, based on what you think they're going to be in, um, does this dig route get open versus cover three that they're dropped in the zone if you protected it? Um, does play call it? You can have a great play, but then you fumble, which is what Beamer mentioned. Yeah, that's not on the play call that you fumble. Now, if you if you run a, let's say you run a guy directly into a blitz that your call, and I'm not even talking about a specific situation. I'm just saying, if you run a guy directly into a blitz where you're overloaded to one side and the guy gets hit and fumbles, is it on the player for fumbling or is that on you know the, the play call? Uh, it, the 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 blame goes around. Um, in those situations, it's never just one thing. So was it really, has the issue truly been like play calling this year? Um, probably not. Has the issue necessarily been on the system in like an X's and O's big picture, like drawn up on the board standpoint? Probably not. I firmly believe what they're doing, the plays work. You know, on paper, the plays work. On paper, right. The way they're designed. But when you have too many and it's it's put together in a way that the players consistently are having issues, um, either A, you just don't have good enough players, or B, the, the system needs to be, at the very least, the system needs to be tweaked quite a bit. And um, we, we've talked, you know, we've talked a ton about what South Carolina doesn't have on offense. But let's not pretend like they have nothing on offense because they do have some players on offense. And we've seen other teams. I compare it, Chris, to what we've seen other teams, as you said a second ago, do against Vanderbilt. Um, and to me, that's when you, you know, that's when you have a problem is when you start looking at it from that perspective. So I don't know, man. We'll we'll see. There's there's five games left. We'll we'll see where it goes from here. Um, obviously. It's going to be a little bit different uh, situation, probably a little different play calling with Zeb in there as well. But um, ultimately, I think you have to tweak this scheme in the big picture um, to being a little bit more college football, a little more college football player friendly. Because I think long term, man, you can build you can build talented defenses at South Carolina. You really can. Um, now, find as much. I, I want to go back to Travis Edwards' point. Because Travis, I don't always agree with Travis on everything he says, but Travis always has a well thought out 
um, reason for everything he says on here on our Primal Gourmet chat line. But Travis, uh, I agree. This idea of um, we know that there's a lot put on the quarterback. Well, um, I think there's a lot put on a lot of guys in, in this scheme. But if if you're putting a lot on them and then it's not working out, you have to find ways to not put as much on them. It, it's rare a quarterback that can just come in and be uh, Joe Burrow or Drew Brees, you know, like w- without spending a ton of time within the scheme. Um, you know, a quarterback in year three or four of one of these schemes that's been in it is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bur- Burrow might not have been in that system, but this dude was a, a college veteran as far as being around college football and had studs all around him when he was playing in what was a somewhat similar scheme at LSU. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and there is a lot we know on a quarterback and, and the staff's been very, you know, from the beginning forthcoming with that. We're throwing NFL concepts at them. And so when you've got a guy, let's go back to Luke, you know, when you've got a guy in Luke who misses a lot of practice time and he's already inexperienced to begin with, you know, that can certainly affect you. Even a guy like Zeb, Zeb's played a ton of college football and from a knowledge standpoint, he'll be in a better position, but, even him, this is his first time actually playing in this unique offense. And so I think for the coaches, Wes, this is more of an opinion thing or kind of an observation. Knowing some of the offensive limitations coming into this year, there's probably kind of this balance that maybe Marcus Satterfield wanted to strike between, um, yeah, you want to keep things simple and highlight what your players can do, but you might feel like that you, maybe schematically had to do some things to dress it up a little bit. Um, and we've seen that in the run game. They, they've talked about that in the run game. Um, they've had to get creative at times, run reverses. They've run, you know, some different types of things out on the perimeter to try to get their guys out there because they haven't been able to line up and run the football. And so some of the base stuff doesn't work as well. And there's, you know, we could dive into all the different reasons for that. Um, so maybe that's how they felt. But I agree with you that it does seem like in some regard you need to be able to simplify. You also need to be able to simplify what you're doing in the run game. You've got to be able to just line up and run some base runs. And even against Vanderbilt, they haven't been able to do that. Now, I know Juju McDowell wasn't in the game, wasn't available. I know Harrison Lloyd got banged up. Zaquandre White came in and did a really good job. First carries that Zaquandre had had. Uh, since the Georgia game. He's been playing on special teams since then. I I thought he came in and did a nice job. But that's been the most puzzling thing is the inability to to line up and and just run base runs. Wes, who was it? Was it somebody somebody Gamecock-related or was it completely outside like NFL or college where there was some coach, I think, who who was talking recently about zone blocking and how, I mean, it gets ugly if you – if you aren't executing right, it looks ugly. I can't remember who that was um, and don't know why, but that's kind of what we've seen. Well, that it looks ugly uh, comment was every single poster on Gamecock Central. I can't yeah. speak to the first part, but that's um, that's no, very true. No, it, it I, been, was it Preston when Preston was talking with us? It might have even been Preston when we were talking to Market on Main, you know, just it, talking about how. Yeah, it, it might it might have been, man. Um, gonna bother me now 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And and to be clear, man, I I think I think the best offensive schemes, like I, in no way, because let's be honest, um, if South Carolina just came out in a bunch of base stuff and just and just ran just ran just the most basic offense we've ever seen. Every everybody, including us, but everybody on Twitter would be saying, "This is it. This is the <laughs> offense." But, I mean, that was being said about the running game early on because they really weren't doing. Yeah, and, and then they dressed it up, and then you know, well now we're like, "Well, you're doing too much." You know, I I get I get it I get it I get it, but here's my opinion on it: the best offensive schemes are the ones that are simple in your room but difficult in their room so i'm not saying you simplify to the point of you're doing nothing like nothing new nothing innovative but coastal carolina's offense for example it doesn't really look all that complicated probably from a learning it standpoint but it gives you some different things you have to prepare for from a defensive standpoint. Um, Tennessee's offense doesn't look all that complicated from a learning it standpoint, but it's difficult to defend from a defensive standpoint. So to me in college, the best schemes, and I'm not even, I'm not even talking about Marcus Satterfield. I'm not talking about any specific coach at all. I was talking about in general, the best college schemes because you have 20 hours a week and you have a constant rotation of players even if you have even if you s- sign your franchise quarterback he's going to play if you're lucky two and a half years because how many of them just i mean even Trevor Lawrence I hate to bring up a Clemson guy for y'all but that's the sort of what comes to my brain when I think of a franchise guy he didn't start from game 1 yeah so at your absolute best, your franchise quarterback you get is going to play two and a half years. Um, and then you have to find the next guy. So to me, the schemes that on one hand give your opponent a little something different, but on this hand can be learned quickly are the ones that are going to have the advantage in college football. Um, now, Maybe that's asking a lot. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's difficult to to put that together. Maybe you're always walking that line between am I too complicated versus am I too simple. I know that's a part of the conversation. But I also know at the end of the day, you got to be able to execute whatever you're doing. And usually, man, it's not necessarily a play call and like I was in a bad call based on that defense, it's more about are my guys in a position um, to where they're comfortable in executing this thing at a high enough percentage from like an efficiency standpoint. Um, Anyway, dude, I feel like we've put every single show, we end up going back to talking about the offense. Well, there's a lot of, and the point I was going to bring up was, was one that we've already discussed and really don't have an answer to. It's like, what is what is the genesis of the problem? And and I think it's just that there's a lot of different things. And that's something that even Shane Beamer mentioned that today. Like people want Beamer to get up there and say, I'm sorry, guys. Yep, the play calling is terrible. You know, and I think we kind of want some people want us and you know us talking about it, analyzing it to just say, 
it's not working and kind of leave it at that. And it's not, it's not working um, because it hasn't been good enough, hasn't been productive enough, but there are a lot of different layers to that. So it, it is trying to figure out, is there, is there kind of a root cause of the turnovers and the execution errors and the mental errors as far as penalties? Maybe it is that there's too much on them. Maybe it's a combination of that and, you know, like you like you said the other day, Wes, are you holding a guy because he's a little bit more talented than you and, you know, he's getting around you, so you hold him? Yeah, in some cases, yeah. Now, when you're taking some bad steps or you're hesitating on the offensive line, it might be because you're unsure and, and you're not you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing. So, so it's either maybe too complicated, maybe the player isn't good enough to execute it, maybe it's not being taught well. It's kind of really hard to just give a blanket answer to it, but – um, and it's also not at this juncture, we can't just say, I'll just scrap everything or I'll just simplify it, right? Like we can talk about some long-term things. Um, a good starting point for this team, honestly, offensively, would be find a way to run the ball better. Don't make so many mistakes. Like like whatever you got to do to get there, do that. And I think some other thing, this team, this team wouldn't turn around drastically on offense. Um, but it could be relatively productive. And and that would be all that anyone expected coming into this year. Um, all right, final question here. Brandon wants to know, what is the realistic chance we can score 30-plus in Missouri and Clemson games? I see those two wins as our best chance at a bowl. Uh, you know, I agree on paper that's going to be South Carolina's best two chances to win a game, as weird as that is to say. I, it's crazy. You know, yeah, weird, weird sentence. Never thought I'd be saying that. I I have relative confidence in South Carolina's ability to keep Clemson's offense um, in a relatively low scoring window, uh, I guess is the way I would say it. Right now, based on what we have seen, based on everything we've talked about the last seven weeks, I don't have a ton of confidence in saying South Carolina is going to score 30-plus against Clemson. Against Missouri, could it maybe happen with the way their defense has struggled? You throw in um, maybe a short field or a defensive score. Um, you know, may, maybe so. Am I going to predict it right now? Probably not. But th- those are certainly, on paper, the two most winnable games. I think to beat Clemson, dude, you're looking at having to grind out like a 21-17 type game Missouri could you maybe is it in the like possibilities uh you know like decent possibilities that you could beat Missouri 31 to 28 28 24 you know maybe a little bit higher scoring than I'm envisioning for Clemson um yes in my opinion um so we'll see man but certainly Clemson's offense as talented as they are on paper as well as they've recruited Chris um to me you feel somewhat decent right now looking at the two teams about South Carolina's defense's ability to maybe keep them in that game, which is not something we have said about that matchup um, in a long time. Yeah, and for South Carolina, you know, the hope is that they don't figure it out offensively prior to that game because then it – Or on the day of that game. (laughs) Or on the day of it, yes. But, no, that is a wild sentence. I mean, Missouri would certainly have been on that list of – Hey, winnable, you know, more winnable games coming into this year. And Clemson would not have been on that list for sure. And now with the way they played, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely more on that side. 
you know, so, so Wes, no 38 point prediction when, by the time the Missouri game rolls around. Well, we'll see how I feel that week. I might might start feeling froggy again. Um, You got the A&M game. You got a bye week to kind of figure it out, reassess things. Yeah. Mm. I'm, uh, I don't know. That was bad. I'm telling you, after two series, I was like, I was like, man, I'm, uh, I'm going to be right on this one. (laughs) Feeling real good. They went right down the field on those first two. Then they came back to earth. Uh, all right, I'm 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 good. I'm done. You done? You good? Yeah, man. Let's uh let's get on out. Let's get some work done. Come back tomorrow. Come back another day here on Wednesday. Wes, I will be here just to let the people know tomorrow. The tentative plan. Y'all y'all work with me and bear with me just to make sure. I'm pretty sure it's locked in, but I need a little bit more time. I think Sherrod Golightly is going to join me tomorrow. Uh, Sherrod, former Gamecock defender does some analysis with us on GamecockCentral.com. I want to get Sherrod in here, reminisce on the old days, um, talk about college football, talk about his time at Carolina, talk about some of the plays he made, and may, and and honestly go into some scheme stuff and some development stuff, especially on the defensive side of the ball with Carolina this year. So I should be able to get that done tomorrow. I will certainly be here with someone out there. So if it's not Sherrod, you're just going to grab somebody from – Move fitness or something? You're it's just, gonna... just be a random person. Yeah, we'll just okay. talk about some things. All right, well. Yeah. I'll see you all Thursday. Uh, appreciate all the chats. Um, they were good. Good show, good discussion. There's a lot of y'all on here today. Y'all had sort of disappeared a little bit for, for a couple weeks. So, uh, appreciate the support. Um, we'll, we'll have to get somebody on A&M later this week. We got to effort that. All right, y'all. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris, we'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you Thursday. Y'all have a good one. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.